Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Falkaran. More importantly, today I get to speak with Dr. Michael J. Altman, Associate Professor in Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. We'll be speaking about his uh, uh, brand new Rutledge 2022 publication, Hinduism in America, an introduction. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for having me. This is, this is great. I'm really happy to be here. Um, our pleasure. So listen, how did you... How did you get up to writing a book called Hinduism in America? What's the backstory here? Uh, I wish I had like a uh, a really inspirational story other than I got an email from an editor at Rutledge <laughs> that said, um, we're working on this new series of um, religion in America, kind of extradition in America. And would you, um, do you they, they said, do you know anyone who would want to write a Hinduism in America um, book? Because uh, my first book was sort of about Hinduism in America. It was, it, it's, you know, it's called Heathen Hindu, Hindu, but it's more about Protestants than anything else. Um, but I, uh, so I got that email and I was, um, and I thought, yeah, you know, I had been thinking, I teach an Asian religions in America course. Um, and there isn't, there wasn't at that point um, really a kind of a, a, a good survey of the history of, of, um, Hindu religions in the United States. And so I was kind of, here's a chance to kind of put, I had written a short like religion compass um, piece on Hinduism and Hindu religions in America. And I thought I can just take the bones of that and expand it out and it'll be, it'll be easy. Um, it wasn't easy, but, um, uh, and so, so it kind of came from that email and I said, you know, I, I'd be interested in doing this. And so it kind of, it kind of grew from there. So, so Hinduism in America, is this a book about the relationship between America and Hinduism? Is it a book about the journey of Hindus in America? Is it a book, like what primarily does the book um, um, detail? Yeah. Um, so the, the book is trying to do two things at once. On the one hand, I'm trying to give the basic kind of content and narrative um, of how things labeled Hindu showed up in, in, in America, in the United States. Um, and some things that at the time, you know, um, weren't called Hindu or Hinduism. Right. Um, and that we're talking about the colonial period. Um, so I was trying to do that kind of story about how this idea of Hindus and Hinduism had been both represented, um, by outsiders looking across the ocean or importing things, um, and then later, once people who self-identified as Hindu showed up, how they were presenting themselves and then how they were represented, you know, so that that was the kind of um, the overall thing, that kind of narrative. And then on top of that, I wanted the book to look at this particular case study of, of um, Hindus and Hinduism in America and use different moments in it to get to larger questions, larger ideas um, in the study of, in the academic study of religion, so that it wasn't just a book about Hinduism in America, but 
it could also it also functions as a kind of introduction to religious studies. I mean, it, it's very much tailored at um, you know undergraduates, um, people who are new to religious studies, as well as I think at, at that level. But then the content and the um, the kind of survey nature of it makes it great for grad students or folks who just want that survey because there isn't there, there's only I think one other similar book out there right now. So it's trying to do a couple things at once. Hopefully it does them well. Um, but that was, that was kind of the goal was to balance the kind of content with this kind of larger questions that makes it open for comparative stuff. So you can look at other traditions, whether in the United States or other traditions that have, that have had, um, similar histories in other parts of the world and, and sort of hold them up to each other and, and use some of the main, the main terms in the chapters, like world religions, like spirituality and see how they play out in other contexts, perhaps. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. You one tells a story about the data, and then one tells a theoretical story, right? One tells a yeah, story about right. the theory that 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 others can engage in, uh, just uh, not relevant by virtue of content necessarily, but similarly, you know, when I write on the Devi Mahatmya or, or whatever Sanskrit narrative, I tell a story about what's happening in the story world, but then I may, may might use a literary theory so that. Anybody interested in 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 in, in, in you know narrative uh, interpretation might might follow along perhaps. So, what are some of the the the, the ideas or theorists that you use for? Let's I usually do the do it in the opposite order, but we'll do it in this order. What are some of the the, the big ideas or theorists that really resonate with you? And yeah, I mean, so um, I would say there's an overarching kind of theoretical argument in the book that structures how the content gets laid out and. I use the uh, a story that um, it shows up in um, Wendy Doniger's book, but I I, I kind of use it as a as a metaphor for a, a different turn I'm taking of um, Allen Ginsberg, the poet, uh, during the uh, in in Chicago during the protest during the Democratic conventions, he's um, chanting Om in this park, and as the story goes, a Indian man walks up to him and hands him a note that says that he's mispronouncing it. <laughs> um, and I use that story as an example, not that um, one way to read that story, then I think that a lot of, a lot, many scholars, especially scholars of Hindus in America, read, would read that story as like, see, uh, white Americans misunderstand Hinduism and need to have it corrected. And I, I, won't, I actually say that, I use that as an example to say, actually this book and my argument is that like, I'm not here to tell you how to, I'm not here to judge the pronunciation of Om. I'm here to tell you all the different ways it's been pronounced and, and all the different ways these traditions and these ideas and these images and these texts have been presented and represented and represented. And so that kind of frames the whole thing um, for me as, you know, there isn't an opening chapter on like, here's what Hinduism is. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actively kind of resisting that. And that, that story is my way to kind of get at that. And that opens it up to the the other kind of terms. So each chapter is built around not uh, his, it, it is they are chronological. They are kind of tell this historical narrative, but they're built around these particular terms um, like the other um, Orientalism, which of course has a lot of stuff from uh, Edward Said, world religions um, drawing on Tomoko Masuzawa's work, um, and then some stuff that's a bit more out of the American religions. Um, sort of literature, because that's kind of what I've been trained in. I come out of, out of that. Uh, so metaphysical religion, which is, I think, a useful term, not just in the United States, but 
can be expanded um, from Catherine Albanese. And then broadly thinking about the way spirituality functions um, as a kind of alternative to religion. And when, um, when do both Hindus and non-Hindus circulating around these texts, practices, ideas, want to deploy that word instead of religion and how that works. Um, and then lastly, the last, the last term is, is diaspora. And that looks, that chapter looks more directly at the kind of post 1965 um, growth of um, not just in the United, in, in the United States, but also it does touch on stuff um, happening in the, in the Caribbean as well. Um, more of an America's approach as best I could, not anything on Canada. Um, but yeah, so that those it's, it's um, trying to use those categories that I think um, thinking, thinking about the way I teach and um how other instructors might do it, where the, the course on Asian religions in America, or even the section of the religion in America course that looks could pull these things out. And now their students aren't just getting the content of like, who is Ramahun Roy, but they're getting, oh, like, he's important because of a particular understanding of the other that's happening in this moment. And we can use that to like, very easily see how the us then us them discourses work not just in you know unitarians and ramun roy and trinitarians in the 1830s but around us today in different parts of the world like you know and so hopefully it's got some legs that way was there anything that surprised you about this research um i think what was surprising was trying uh, the book was really um trying to trace down uh, the variety of ways that um, representations and discourses about Hindu religions or Hinduism or Hindus, they're all over the place earlier than people think in American history. And then the later you get, it's um, there's just more and more. I mean, the book could have been a lot longer. I mean, it was meant to be short. Uh, it was meant that I had a very, that kind of had this word limit to keep it accessible, to keep it, um, uh, you know, classroom friendly but there's a lot of chapters um, especially when I got into some of the stuff um, that was before 65 but before the 1965 changes in immigration that in the 70s and 80s led to a lot more Indian Indian Hindu immigration the stuff before that um, there was a lot more there than I knew at the time like I knew there was a lot of stuff in the 19th century I knew there's a lot of stuff um, in even in the 18th century that was circulating, but to see, you know, a lot of the stuff that was um, going on amongst like sort of between the wars, like I, I, there's, you know, and I, there are good people, luckily, luckily there, and I relied, a lot of this is relying on secondary research because it's a sort of survey, survey book in that way. Luckily, there's lots of people doing that work, um, which was super helpful. Um, and even some stuff was coming out as I was finishing the book and I wasn't able to put it in as much as I wanted to or at all. So, um, but I think there's a, there's just there, I was saying that there's a lot of space for a bigger version of this or just more. We need a lot more um, work in this area on like, you know, primary research dissertations, monographs, um, because I can imagine an updated version of this book in 10 years that would look way different because there's just so much new stuff that can be done and is, is being done um, in, in this field. So what are some of the salient features of the story of Hinduism in America? What are some interesting points that you might like to share? Yeah, I think, um, I think you can break it down. Um, and at one point, this was how the book was broken down, but I, I kind of pivoted. I, I think you can think about it as there's this period 
of stuff from India showing up in the United States and people from the United States or from America, if we're talking, you know, the colonial period, who have an interest in India that predates the idea, the category of Hinduism as a world religion. So you kind of have like the before, what I call like the before Hinduism period. And you have all of these categories. This is sort of what chapter one and two kind of talk about in the book of missionaries talking about um, the, the religion of the Hindus with two O's. You have um, interest. You have a lot of the British Orientalist work, um, like William Jones's work. Um, the translations of the Bhagavad Gita show up in the, in the, you know, by 1820, you have translations of the Bhagavad Gita in American libraries. Um, you have copies of um, Asiatic researches showing up in, in the United States, in the colonial period um, into the United States. Um, and the, um, that stuff uh, is sort of this early period, both missionary reports and then the more sympathetic um, stuff coming out of the Orientalists. And then you have a period of, as, as I think a, a turning point and I use the World Parliament of Religions as this uh, to talk about this, but it's a kind of bigger thing where before Hinduism could become an American religion, whatever we want to mean by that, but it had to become like a world religion. And so what happens at the parliament um, is a lot of stuff that we see happening in, in uh, you can find in other research on religion in India at the period or writing about religion. It starts to get codified and popularized in America so that when Vivekananda shows up in 1893 at the World Parliament of Religions and gives the speech called Hinduism. It is um, a kind of um, codification or, or a kind of um, uh, this, it gives some, it, it sort of holds together this idea that there is this thing in the world called Hinduism. It's comparative with Christianity. It's comparative with, um, with, with other world religions. And that paves the way for Hinduism to become a thing that Americans are interested in talking about in the early 20th century. And so I often think about it as like, there's this before Hinduism period where stuff about religions in India is kind of circulating and moving back and forth between a kind of triangle of Britain, India, and America. You have this period of kind of like between 1880s and in 1910s, 20s of like developing a thing called Hinduism and in, in, in sort of popular American consciousness and then you have, um, after that, you have a whole host of various, um, whether it's, want to think about it as spirituality or metaphysical religion, but things like Vedanta, things like yoga that are growing, the Vedanta societies, various yoga movements, Yogananda, um, a whole host of traveling, um, traveling gurus and traveling yoga teachers before World War II, um, who paved the, and so some early forms of kind of Americanized um, Hindu Hindu practices and things, and then after after the changes in um, immigration in '65, you have a kind of self-identified communities showing up. So I kind of think of like the before the kind of intermittent form formative period, and then this period at the end. It's both innovation. It's both innovation in the United States, um, where my where a lot of these Hindu a lot of these Indian teachers are are picking up on some of the 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 popular the popular threads of like metaphysical or, or any kind of alternatives to american christianity that people are looking for they're capitalizing on that in certain ways and then and then following that a kind of like these these communities 
that have large networks, these diaspora communities have large networks back to India that, that have continued to grow. So I think those, those kind of the three beats um, of the story. Um, and you can kind of, they kind of break into like chapter one and two, and then chapter three is kind of the turning point. And then those last four, five, and six kind of tell that other story of both the Americanized versions and then the, the, um, the, the immigrant, you know, diaspora communities that show up. What are some areas uh, that you alluded to earlier that um, uh, we might like to see more work in? Like, what, what are, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, we're doing an impromptu call to all grad students listening remotely interested in this topic. Uh, yeah. You know, what, what, are, what, are, what are potential topics for a master's or PhD proposals? Um, I, um, yeah, I would have said at one point, I thought we needed a new, a, a really good history of um, ISCON, but one just came out. Um, so that was good as I was, I was like literally working on the chapter that, um, that we've covered with, it. We've yeah. covered it on the podcast actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like working on that and then I saw the book was coming out and I was like, can you send me your proofs please? Um, so that's great. Uh, I think we need, I think we need, um, more stuff. So there's a, I guess put it this way, there's a, there has been a tendency in the past to, uh, where scholars, and I think this no offense. I think this is a bigger thing when we have scholars who are specialists in South Asia who then dabble in American stuff. Um, but I think that they there's a tendency to like make a box of like, okay, this is what Hinduism is, and then turn it towards American culture and see all the stuff where I think I see Hinduism, right? So like it's in Lost because they're the Dharma initiative, Dharma initiative, or whatever. It's, I can't remember it's been so long. Or it's in you know, like Star Wars or, or whatever, like these, like, I'm going to find Hindu stuff. And I think what we actually need when it comes to the kind of 20th century um, pop culture stuff is more studies of the influences and networks that connected people. So I think, um, so like in the, uh, in my in chapter five of this book, where I talk a lot about the hippies and the, you know, Esalen and all these movements that connected um, the countercultural movements that kind of were connected and circle circulated around um, some uh, Hindu figures. Like a lot of that was, was taken, like, I, there's a whole book there, I think, honestly, on the kind of um, the networks and the history of how that worked and what that tells us about how texts and ideas um, circulate and move, right? And the work that the language of spirituality does to gloss over differences in some cases um, and or, or not, depending on how it gets, you know, um, deployed. Because um, I think, for example, one of the, I think the, whether it's, um, you know, um, whether it's uh, transcendental meditation or I think, um, Folks like um, uh, like uh, Adolf Huxley or Krishnamurti, like these are all figures that you see in passing in various texts, but I don't think have gotten a full blown Krishnamurti. Krishnamurti like someone should write a dissertation. Like there's a whole thing to be done there um, on him. Um, so I think Hi Hillary Rodrigues, uh, a, a scholar probably most um, best known for his work on uh, Durga Puja. Um, I just happen to know this because um, uh, um, uh, we're working on a course uh, uh, together for the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. He's actually heavily involved in researching Krishnamurti. So, yay! Yeah. Yay! <laughs> <happening>. <laughs> I, but should I have said that? I'm not sure if I should. Oh, whatever. We're good. Well, <laughs> we're yeah. 
No, and that's is the uh, this is what I kept finding, and I'd be like, I need a book like on this or this, and then someone would be working on it. Um, one of them, I mean, the uh, uh, Amanda Lucia's book, The White Utopias, was like I was working on spirituality and this whole question, and then that book came out, and I was like, ah, oh, perfect. Like this is, and part of that was this this book was delayed so much both by uh, COVID and then my own, some own personal stuff that slowed me down, um, an, <laughs> an unexpected child. So the 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 it took a lot longer to write than the, I thought. Uh, listen, you can birth one thing at a time, and if the baby's being birthed, a book's not being birthed, and vice right. versa. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then that was followed up um, by the pandemic, and so it was. Um, it was one of those things where, when I said this book wasn't easy, it was a long. And halfway through, the realization that this book needed to do needed to use a kind of examples approach both at the macro level of saying, what is the story of Hinduism in America an example of? And I think it's an example of representation of category construction um, and of the way groups use representations of, to, to make us's and them's. And then on the chapter level, what is each moment in this story, each beat in this narrative, an example of? Um, so that the book becomes comparative, implicitly comparative, it becomes portable, it becomes something that can be used to teach both an Asian religions in America content-driven class or American religions content or, or something more theoretical. Like theor I think you could teach, you know, an intro to religious studies course or a theory and method course, like, and use this book pretty heavily. So to, to that came, that pivot came um, about uh, halfway through the book. I'd written the first two chapters and then was like, um, and then it was during, I had a sabbatical, I had a sabbatical, the fall, the first fall of COVID, I had sabbatical. And that's when I wrote the majority of the book after that um, and rewrote those first two chapters substantially. And so I think that, um, that also made it take a lot longer. And it then meant that a bunch of work was coming out as I was, and, and because it is relying on a lot of secondary literature, it's, it's a survey, it's trying to make a larger argument. Um, there was some primary research in published work I did, but I couldn't really you know, this was the book I had to finish because I couldn't go to the archives to do the other book I wanted to do. So it was, um, it was a, a, a bit of a make, making it up as I go thing. Um, but it made it take longer, which means there's now, you know, these books are coming out. But yeah, I think just to go back to the original question, I think there's a lot of stuff in the pre-65 post <laughs> where my first book left off in 1893 from between there and 65, there's a lot of stuff that could be done um, that people should should be mining and there are some people doing you know some work um um uh, anya foxen's books have you know um do that work uh, really well um thinking about yoga um and there's there's other stuff coming out so i think but i think that's the area that we need we need more stuff and there's probably more stuff to be done in that 19th century stuff that i started poking around and i said that in my first book like we need more stuff um on theosophy we need more stuff um we need more stuff that's been written by religious studies people and not literature people about the transcendentalists. So no one wants to write about Unitarians anymore, but they have an interesting relationship with India, but they've fallen out of fashion amongst Americanists. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, you tantalize us with the, the other book that you wanted to write. What would that have been? So the, the other book has nothing to do with India or, or Hinduism or in your, it's a, there's a, there's a, book I was working on, on, on evangelicalism. Um, and then that didn't happen, um, because I couldn't get to the archives I wanted to. And then, um, the other book that I am working on because it, I needed something, the next thing up, but I still didn't want to go to archives. Um, 
is actually on professional wrestling and, re and religion. So that's, um, yeah. So, you know, I kind of, uh, I have, I have these dueling interests, both in the, um, South Asian stuff, South Asian stuff in America and, and American, America, the more, more, uh, the American religious history stuff. And so I'm always bouncing back and forth between those. That's oh, good to have multiple interests. Um, what do you hope folks would most take away from this book like what what would be the, the core takeaways would you say i think um i think the core takeaway would be that hinduism like is 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 like every other tradition in america or or other every other religious tradition really ever in that what counts as hinduism is always up for grabs and that in that descriptions, both by insiders and outsiders, we can learn a lot about how people form groups. Um, and so whatever part of the history, like there's lots of fun little bits and lots of really interesting stories in the book um, about how, you know, how these things, ideas spread, how people run into each other, various important figures. And those are all really, really important. But I think, I hope the takeaway is like, wow, like, the story of Hinduism in America is this interesting story of different people with different interests arguing about who gets to be a Hindu or not and what gets to be Hinduism or not. And we see that happening all around us all the time. And, and I think that would be, um, to me, that would be the, the, the takeaway, the, the big takeaway I'd want. I mean, my, I always tell students like when, when I'm teaching like intro to religious studies or whatever, I'm like, like my basic approach to religion is that it's a way that people make us's and them's and like, that's what it does. It tells you who you are and it tells you who they are. And if they're not part of you, then we got to figure out what to do about them. Um, and so that's is that all, that, is that all it does? Do you feel, I mean, I don't know if that's all it does, but I think that that's to me, the most interesting thing it does. Um, that's mm. the thing I keep coming back to um, is the way, you know, I'm, I think I'm probably, uh, I've probably become, um, you know, I think I had, I read too much Durkheim in graduate school perhaps, but I think for me, like the idea that, um, the ways that, um, and I think it might be also part of it is that's how it's often functioned. It's functioned that way so strongly in American history. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, it, I think one of the important things it does is, and we can, it does all sorts of other things, but so much of what people do when it comes to ritual when it comes to myths when it comes to texts are these are all things that tell you who you are and if you and oftentimes tell you who you're not or who's not a part of you um or a part of that group um and i think that's really i think that's really interesting because i think it has very real world um very real world ramifications and really big stakes um when we're talking about the way religious identity, yeah, can make us as and thems, and what happens is at those boundaries, like the story of religion, the story of Hinduism in America. I mean, those boundaries can be really violent. I mean, I have a whole section about the riots in California and Oregon in the nineteen, uh, the turn of the twentieth century, where where the so-called Hindu invasion. Now they were all six, and they didn't know that the white people didn't know that they just called them Hindus with two O's, but that label right carried with it a pol both um the political policies that tried to take land from them and allow not allow it, uh south asian immigrants to own land 
that tried to tried to limit the marriage practices that were happening and then eventually led in and to like riots and violence against people and so there's that and then there's like the unitarians who read ramun roy and like he's one of us <laughs> he's a unitarian too and that's a different story with very different stakes right um but across the board, you see these, you know, another way to think about it is the book's really at bottom about difference and how people make sense of difference. When do you see it? When, how difference is constructed? When it's, um, how difference is overcome? Um, which is another way to talk about us and them. But I think that's another thing. It's like Hinduism in America offers a really interesting example of something that is often labeled different, but then often people want to erase that difference and say like Ramahun Roy is actually a Unitarian Christian like us here in Boston or, or not in other cases. So I think, I think that's another way to look at it. Fascinating. Is this work that you hope to continue? Yeah. I don't know what the next, um, I don't know what the next uh, project kind of in this trajectory is going to be um it might be there was a lot of stuff uh, the the chapter on um on ginsburg on ginsburg and the the late 50s and the 60s that was really intriguing so maybe if um that might be somewhere i i, I go dig deeper um, there's a great there's a great line by the way um uh, i don't typically go into the granular on the podcast but the, the lots of witty and potentially snarky uh you know really witty um, um, um uh, uh, sub subheadings and uh i think at one point you at one point you write oh i can't remember the it was ginsburg found a mantra no ginsburg uh, didn't find a guru in india he found a mantra so that yeah 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 exactly <laughs> Yeah, he didn't want a guru. He didn't want anyone telling him what to do. He just wanted a mantra. Yeah, exactly. No, um, the whole. I mean, I watched the, the one of my the one of the you know you you think the the I sat in this exact desk where I'm sitting right now and wrote most of the the last four chapters of the book and 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 that was this was like the pandemic writing zone and um but I remember watching that um that interview with Ginsburg with um uh what's his face the um why am i blanking on the guy's name uh, william buckley um with william f buckley on his tv show and that that interview i watched the whole interview and it's just it's amazing because buckley is just sitting there like with this look on his face like can you get get a load of this guy right and 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 then also you know ginsburg has like his harmonium and he's singing and he's like i'm gonna chant harry krishna and it's like, this was, it was an amazing moment um, of like, we think about that period of this period of such radical political change and unrest. And here's William Buckley and Allen Ginsberg. And like, I'm working on that, you know, in the midst of like, you know, post January 6th COVID. And it's just like, this is, it's all a circle, like time's a flat circle, like, um, so I, I yeah, I, time, a lot of time the, the Hindus are right. Time is the cool. We've been here before. <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh God, I, the number of times I just sit back and like, you know, that Kali Yuga idea. That really, that really seems right right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're definitely if if there is such a thing as the Kali Yuga, we're clearly in it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No. Without um, question. So yeah. So I think that era, that period. Um, and the whole, and I know that, you know, there's, um, 
there's work done on Esla and other stuff in that era, but like there's that period was really interesting to me. And it's something that um, I may go back to at some point. There's one thing that you said earlier that I, I wouldn't mind teasing a little bit. I mean, there's lots we could talk about, um, but we're, we're fairly close to time for the sake of our listeners, busy lives, but hopefully they're, hopefully we're, we're, we're sufficiently entertaining them. Um, uh, a, a, a throwaway comment that I think is important that uh, along the lines of uh, Hinduism couldn't be an American religion until it was a world religion. Say a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is the argument of chapter three in some ways. Um, and it's this, the idea is that um, religion as a religion in the United States, even even in the late 19th century, um, there people are fascinated with categorizing it. Um, religion and the different labels of religion and connecting those labels. Um, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in other parts of the world, but it is a, I don't know if it's a unique American fascination or if it's a product of the first amendment um, and the lack of establishment. Um, but, or if it's just because of the historical accident of the kinds of Christians who settled um, uh, who settled in the, in, in the American colonies. But there is this fascination with sort of categories and self and labeling oneself um, in sort of in American religious history. And so in that period between, in, in sort of the 18, after the Civil War, 1870s, 1880s, you have all these people who are trying to sketch out you know, and Mazuzella writes about this a lot, mostly from the European perspective, but it's happening in, in, in America. You have all these people who are sketching out categories and, and of religion, the different religions. I think about like James Truman Clark's 10 great religions, but you have, you know, um, all these other examples. And, and so for anything to enter into American culture and be successful, this idea that it was somehow a world religion kind of had to be satisfied first, right? So even even sort of the new religious movements of that period um, always tried to attach themselves mostly to Christianity, but even something like theosophy always makes its argument in terms of itself being a kind of a kind of next evolutionary step in universal religion or world religion. And so when in order for Hinduism to be, when I say a religion, I mean, not just in sense of like Americans would accept it or think about it, but in terms of like having that same status or making claim legal claims down the line, like it, it had to fit into the world religions paradigm was so baked into the way Americans thought about um, religious difference um, that, that um, it had to be, it had to be a kind of world religion that was comparative to these other two, because before that, it wasn't even seen as by most Christians, by most American Christians, Hinduism, what we would, what we would see and call Hinduism was heathenism, was the system of the Hindus, was all sorts of other things. Um, and what, what Vivekananda wasn't the only one who did this, he wasn't the sole responsible, but what happens in and around this period that's, I think, of which the world parliament is the pinnacle, is this stuff that used to be called the religion of the Hindus or heathenism or the system of the Hindus or whatever, 
becomes a thing. It becomes an ism. It becomes Hinduism. The same thing happens to Buddhism in a different story, different way, but it becomes this thing. And now it's at least to like a certain brand of liberal Protestant. Now it's something on maybe not equal, but of the same genus as Christianity or Judaism or Islam. Um, and that's, that was sort of had to happen for the, all of the, for American, for it to, for, for Americans, I think, to kind of like take it seriously and for it to continue to, 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 for ideas from in, religious ideas from India to, to really spread into American culture more, I guess. Fascinating. I think you've done a good job of addressing this throughout, uh, particularly at the outset. But nevertheless, let's drive home. Who might most be interested in this book? Um, I think instructors who are teaching a whole range of classes um, from uh, so content-driven classes on Asian religions in America or Hinduism in America, or even just if you want to have a, the, and if you're teaching that, you know, 200 level Hinduism course and you want some stuff from America, um, there are great chapters, you know, I think you can um, draw on. Um, I think courses on, uh, or, or courses on kind of like pluralism because or religious encounters, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I think if you're interested in some of these theor- the, the, the theoretical categories that are in the chapters or this overall question of difference or this overall question of representation, I think the book, um, like I said, I think you really couldn't structure an intro to religious studies course around it. I might, I'm actually teaching that in the fall. Maybe I'll try it. Um, but then I also think folks who just want a quick primer on like the, uh, as full a history as I could put together in, um, in the word count of the major beats of, of how, of hint of encounters between um, uh, Hinduism or religions of India or, and, and, um, and people in the United States, like it's a really, it's, I think a, a good, a good summary of that. Um, and I think, you know, there's plenty, there's a number of Hindu Americans I've talked to who've read the book and really appreciated it as a history that sort of contextualizes where, especially where um, Hinduism, the representation of Hinduism in American popular culture today, I think it's, the book doesn't take on explicitly explaining how that, hap- how that happens, but you can see the continue, the, you can see the continuities in the history that's in this book, if you want to figure out how that's working, where we, how we got to that today, you know, and I think that's been really um, interesting to hear that from people. Um, so yeah, I, I, and then I think, you know, I think people should put it on, on all of their, one, I think it's, I, I hope it's the book on another level for when we're thinking about other academics that like in American religious history or American religions or whatever your PhD track is, I hope this is the book that ends up on people's exams so that this history and the story becomes part of the way we think about American religion more broadly. Um, I'm, I've been, and I have been, and I continue to be critical of the kind of big tent approach of like, we always need to just add more and more and more and more to the story of American religion. On one hand, I have, and I've written about that elsewhere, people can go find that. But I also do think we need to decenter the Protestant narrative that drives everything in that subfield. Um, and I think the fact that this book has, you know, this book has Cotton Mather, Allen Ginsberg, William F. Buckley, uh, a number of important figures that we would think of as like central to American history, but it's about Hinduism, right? And so I hope that it helps to at least decenter that 
um, story some, not to add to some, you know, like liberal Protestant pluralist big tent of American religious history, but to say like, we can tell stories, we can tell these very different stories, right? Um, and I hope, I hope that does that too. So I hope it ends up on, on grad students' desks too. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been great. Uh, hopefully you've uh, survived or at least you weren't overly scathed. <laughs> no, the, that was great. Uh, by the abrasive interviewer. Um, oh, great. <laughs> Not at all. No, no I, was, I felt handled with kid gloves. Oh, the, the grueling, uh, critical questions. No, no, no. Um, I've been told I'm user-friendly and I'm going to go with that. Um, all right, excellent. Um, so uh, for those of you listening, we've been speaking with Dr. Michael Altman on his uh, brand new Rutledge publication in the Religion in, Ameri- uh, Religion in America series called, of course, Hinduism in America, an introduction. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating um, Hinduism in America and everywhere else. Take care.